industrial decline. The UK had been in a very strong economic position at the beginning of the 50s, but by the 70s the UK was struggling to keep up with other countries around the world. Our share of world trade had declined from 25% to 10%. There were two main problems that hit the UK economy at the same time and made the 1970s a difficult decade for many people to live through. Problem 1. The UK's share of world trade quickly declined because, following decolonisation, which means that countries in the British Empire uh, were gaining independence, that began in the 1950s, most ex-colonies began to develop their own industries and started trading with their neighbours rather than with the UK. In addition to this, West Germany in Europe and Japan in the Far East were increasing their industrial production and share of world trade. Also, membership of the EEC had given a big boost to West German, French and Italian industry from the beginning, as it was then much cheaper to trade with each other. Another problem was that the UK was making products that were less in demand or not keeping up with new developments. For example, the shipyards, which were not switching to make larger container ships and super tankers. There was also higher production costs in the UK because industries were not modernising and becoming more efficient. This meant that goods from other countries were often cheaper to buy. Problem number two, UK productivity. In other words, the amount made by each person working in an industry began to fall behind other countries. By 1977, UK productivity was half that of West Germany and Denmark, and only Italy and the Republic of Ireland were lower in Europe. There are a number of possible reasons for this. High government spending on defence and welfare rather than modernising industry. Old-fashioned working methods, old-fashioned machinery and facilities. Workers often being kept in jobs that were not really needed to avoid rising unemployment and to keep on the right side of the trade unions. For example, the 1953 report comparing the UK's steel industry to the steel industry in the USA suggested that there were two or three times as many workers employed in steel in the UK than were actually needed. The third problem was inflation. This was making prices rise faster than wages because the UK was importing more and producing less. People saw the spending power they had enjoyed in the 50s and 60s start to disappear. Between 1975 and 1976, average earnings fell by 18%. At the same time, the number of people who were unemployed passed 1 million, and rising interest rates made it more difficult to borrow money. Many workers tried to get their bosses to increase their pay to help solve their problems. This brought many workers into conflict with the government, which was trying to keep wages down to help lower inflation. Industrial unrest. Six million working days were lost to strikes in the first six months of 1970. 
And so, in 1971, the Industrial Relations Act was brought in by the newly elected Conservative government to control the trade unions. Trade unions are organisations that look after the welfare and interests of workers in a particular business. The new law tried to make sure that unions only went on strike after attempts to discuss problems had been made. It didn't work. Many trade union members opposed it, and many shop stewards, or local union officials, ignored their union leaders when they insisted that members should follow the new rules. The general public supported some strikes for higher wages, as rising inflation meant that prices were rapidly rising in the early 1970s. Prices rose 8.6% between 1970 and 1973, and were rising by 29% by 1975. Prices were rising because the falling value of the American dollar had damaged the value of the pound, making UK imports to the USA very expensive. Also, the price of oil quadrupled in 1973 after OPEC, the group of Middle Eastern countries who produced most of the world's oil, restricted supplies in protest at the USA and the UK's support for Israel in the Yom Kippur War. The rising number of strikes by different groups of workers were usually ended by awarding pay increases, which also led to prices rising generally. In 1972, the coal miners went on strike. They were very poorly paid for doing this dangerous job and put in a pay claim for a 47% pay rise. Their employers had offered them 8%. 280,000 miners went on strike. It caused a national power crisis and the government quickly gave the miners a large pay increase. The miners won because the Yorkshire miners' leader, Arthur Scargill, organised thousands of flying pickets, mobile groups of striking workers, to block the movement of coal to power stations. Despite a number of violent confrontations, the public continued to support them. The government was also very poorly organised and had not stockpiled coal or saved coal at the power stations, to meet increased winter demand. There was a national crisis in the winter of 1973. First the miners, then electricity power engineers, then train drivers, all began overtime bans, meaning that they would not work more than their usual hours. This made it difficult to maintain the normal electricity supply and some areas suffered from power blackouts. With oil supplies restricted by OPEC and power stations running short of coal, Prime Minister Heath had no choice but to declare a state of emergency. He imposed a three-day week on the UK from the 31st of December 1973. This meant that electricity would only be provided to businesses for three specific days each week, which limited how long they could be open, and how much workers would be able to earn. Any businesses which broke these rules 
would be fined and their owners could face imprisonment. Restrictions did not apply to shops that sold food. Ironically, UK businesses produced as much on a three-day week as they had on a five-day week. Other measures were introduced as well. There were power cuts to people's houses, with different regions facing cuts at different times of the day on a rolling programme. Television broadcasts were ordered to end at 10.30 at night. Floodlights were not allowed to be used at sporting events, and street lights were turned off. To reduce fuel use, a 50 mile an hour speed limit was introduced, which actually led to a reduction in the number of road accidents. Petrol stations began to run out of fuel and long queues formed. People were arrested for jumping petrol station queues or draining petrol out of parked cars. The unions still refused to cooperate and the miners called a full strike in February 1974. Prime Minister Heath called an immediate general election on the issue of who governs Britain in the hope of being able to show that he had more public support than the unions did. He did not get the decisive result he wanted. He was forced to resign to be replaced by Margaret Thatcher and the Conservatives lost the election, although Labour only won it with a tiny majority. The situation was calmed when the new Labour government settled the pay disputes. The miners got a 29% pay increase. Labour made a social contract with the unions and got rid of the 1972 law restricting union activity in return for a promise that pay claims put in would be for 5% or less. As Labour leader Harold Wilson retired in 1975, he was replaced by James Callaghan. Although the new Labour government did bring inflation down, they did it by increasing taxes and reducing government spending, which was very unpopular with the people. Labour then lost two by-elections, which meant that it had lost its majority in the House of Commons. In March 1977, Callaghan did a deal with the Liberal leader David Steele to get the support of the 13 Liberal MPs, and also got support from Scottish and Welsh Nationalist MPs by offering them a vote on devolution. The situation began to improve. The worldwide economic recession was over, government finances were improving, and trade unions were sticking to a 10% limit on pay rises. Unemployment was still high and rising, but optimism that the situation was improving saw public support return to Labour. Callaghan decided to wait until 1979 for a general election because he believed the economy would continue to improve and support would continue to return to his Labour government. The trade unions saw things differently. They thought that by accepting government pay increase limits, they would be betraying their members, many of whom were suffering hardships because of the government's anti-inflation policies. In the autumn of 1978, Ford car workers went on strike and got a 15% pay increase. 
In December of 1978, the House of Commons voted against a government plan to punish employers who broke the agreed 5% limit on pay deals. This opened up the possibility of large numbers of strikes demanding high pay rises. As prices rose higher and higher with inflation in the late 70s, the amount of money workers were bringing home was getting less and less all of the time. Lorry drivers went on strike demanding a 30% pay increase in January 1979, leading to petrol shortages as petrol was not being delivered to petrol stations. The National Union of Public Employees, which represented the lowest paid local government workers, demanded a 40% increase in pay, which resulted in school dinners not being served, rubbish piling up in the streets and, in some extreme cases, bodies going unburied. Other unions joined in, having seen groups like the miners and Ford car workers get big pay increases. This series of strikes came to be known as the Winter of Discontent. Between November 1978 and March 1979, a total of 30 million working days were lost. There was no pattern and no planning to these strikes, and most of them were unofficial. The government wanted 5% pay deals, prices were rising at 10%, but workers were asking for rises that were much higher than that. Some were trying to make up for years and years of watching inflation wipe out the value of their pay. Others, because they just wanted to be paid more. These strikes sometimes had unforeseen consequences. For example, lorry drivers went on strike and pickets stopped the delivery of materials to make the antibiotic penicillin and the supply of blood for transfusions. At one point, there was only one petrol station open in the whole of Liverpool, and petrol prices at stations around the UK that did stay open rose quickly from 75 pence a gallon to more than £3. Chlorine was not transported to water purification plants to make drinking water cleaner. Propane gas was not transported for the railways to use to melt ice on the tracks, during the coldest winter the UK had seen since 1963. Despite all this, no one was proved to have died as a result of this union action. There were no food shortages and there was no violence. The Conservatives took advantage of this situation and ran election campaigns blaming the Labour government for lack of control of the trade unions and also blaming them for rising unemployment, which was at 1.3 million, having risen 60% during the 1970s. Appearing on the television news programme Weekend World in January 1979, Conservative leader Margaret Thatcher suggested that workers in essential services should not be allowed to strike and that benefits could be reduced or taken away from striking workers. Many people in the public liked the sound of this harsher stance against the unions and turned towards the Conservatives. They ended up winning the 1979 election 
as a result 